Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Corn stalks grow to be around eight feet tall. So when you and some friends take a leisurely stop near the cornfields, and see something skulking about taller than the corn itself, perhaps it's a good time to get the heck out of Dodge. Welcome back to Unexplained Encounters. I'm your host, Darkness Prevails, and you can follow me on Twitter at Dark Prevails, where I recently warned people of the existence of a terrible 1997 horror film called Hideous. I'll never get that time back. Today, I've got a terrifying assortment of allegedly true scary stories to share with you featuring monsters seen in the dark and ancient demons. Enjoy, and don't forget to send me your encounters with the unexplained at darkstories.org so I can narrate them on the show. Now, let's begin. The Night the Creature Came Home From Michael J.R.D. I once saw a shape-shifting type of cryptid creature when I was about 12 years old in my hometown in Northern California. Upon years of research and listening to stories that were similar, I believe it most correlates with the description of a wendigo or skinwalker. I'm still not sure what it was or whether or not there is a difference. I was out with one of my two brothers at a friend's house not too far from the local college on the southern side of the woods, which spans many square miles. I'd go to the same friend's house pretty frequently around that time. Usually, I'd get a ride over there after school, and we'd all go skateboarding around the town, or just go to the mall and hang out, meeting up with people and playing skate, which is like horse but with skateboard tricks. Afterwards, we'd skate our boards back to the friend's house, and I would usually get picked up around nightfall or soon after. Well, something followed our family vehicle home from that wooded area around the friend's house one night. I first noticed this thing jumping from tree to tree in pursuit of our truck as we headed down a long and dark road. At some point, after a few miles of pursuit, it vanished from sight, and I didn't see it until hours later after getting back home. Later that night, I needed my mother for something. I couldn't find her, so I went out the back door to see if she was there. And then, that's when I heard it. Whatever it was, it had put on a sort of off-putting mimicked voice of my mother. I wasn't sure what it was at first, but I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I didn't trust it, and I felt chills when I heard it. It called from somewhere in the dark out in my backyard, saying, I replied, Mom, is that you? It didn't respond. I figured she was trying to show me something out there. So I walked down my porch stairs and I asked, Mom, let me know if that's you. I hear it again. The sound chilled me to the bone, not being sure what it was, hoping that it was my mom. I stepped a few steps closer 
and asked again, Mom, is that you? Are you out there? That icy voice repeated again, I soon came to the edge of the shadow cast by my porch light being blocked by the corner of my house. At the same time, something approached the edge of the light, as if the border of the shadow and light was its boundary. When I saw it, I froze, and it did the same. I realized what I was looking at then was definitely not my mother. However, up close, it looked more like it was trying to mimic my appearance. Long hair, similar facial features, but it was still too tall and too pale, with tight skin and deep black sunken-in eyes. It was like I caught something inhuman in the middle of transforming into me. We both stayed petrified. We examined each other. I had no clue as to what its plans were, but as I managed to regain composure of myself, I immediately ran back into the house as fast as I could manage. I did get a glimpse of how fast that thing could move, and I knew that if it had the intention and or capability, it could have had its way with me. But it let me escape, for what reason I'll always be confused about. My brothers and I all slept in the kitchen that night until my mom got back, because she had apparently left the house. But when she did come back, she would later tell me that she had also heard the sound before she left to the store. The Thing in the Jungle From Anonymous My father is a fearless man. He is the type to not take any tomfoolery from people, whether it's from strangers or even close relatives. He's a very level-headed man with friends from distant places. Now, in my country, we are a bunch of superstitious people. The supernatural is deeply embedded into our blood, into our culture. We believe that black magic and curses befall people or can be cast or thrown at people. But this is not that type of story. The jungles here are dense and old. When we want to do anything in these jungles, we believe in asking our ancestors permission. Be it camping or relieving ourselves, we always ask permission. Otok nenek, kukunak bong, er kesseltau. Roughly translating to grandfather, grandmother, I need to relieve myself, okay? And we would continue on with our business. If we didn't do that, it is said that a week of fevers and bad luck will be upon you. Creatures and ghouls are a common topic from where I'm from. We talk about them to warn people before they do anything or to be more aware of their surroundings. Back to my father. When he was a little younger, back in 1992, he wanted to go camping with his buddies in the jungle reservations. They were geared up and packed for a week to trek through the jungle to their destination. They carpooled with a couple of 4x4 jeeps, and they were generally excited, having a good time on their journey. They reached the reservation a little late, but they were confident that they could find their camping destination still. At the time, it was near midnight. They were still nowhere near where they wanted to be. 
Along the beaten path that they drove through, they suddenly saw in the jeep's headlights in front of them a figure. They described it as thin and pale, with legs bent in a squatting position low to the ground. They stopped a little more than 10 to 15 meters away. They were quiet in the jeep, not a word passing between them, the creatures of the night around them chirping and scuttling in the dark. Then they saw that creature beginning to move. It must have realized that it had company now as its head slowly turned towards them. But how could it know? Because apparently it had no eyes and no ears to sense them with. They searched all over its body, but they did not find anything that could be a mouth or even a nose. What they were looking at appeared to just simply be an eerily human-like figure, alarmingly thin with limbs longer than any normal human person. It slowly stood, its movement smooth and calculated, as if it didn't want to spook them. They could see its thin arms and long claws, skin almost glimmering in the dark, reflecting the jeep's headlights. Then it began to walk towards them, slow, almost non-threatening looking, like a big cat stalking prey. They froze with fear, just staring at this thing as it came closer to them. Quickly, my father came to his senses and slapped his friend who was driving to get him to reverse. He then leaned out the jeep window and signaled his friends in the other jeep to get out of there quickly. They all did so, slightly faster, driving carefully so as to not hit a tree, or else they might swerve right into their deaths. They didn't stop until they left the reserve. They booked it out of there the moment they hit asphalt. The Shadow Demon from Alex A. I've been a Christian all my life. I don't dabble in Ouija boards or anything of the sort, and I never would because the fact of me being Christian. I was 13 at the time this happened. It was the most terrifying thing that has ever happened to me. It was the awful day of December 1st, 2016. I had a bad breakup with my girlfriend, and my friend had just moved four states away. I sadly found myself cursing God for everything that happened, which I still regret doing. I thought nothing was going to get better. I had school that day, so obviously I was dreading to see my ex. Luckily, I wouldn't have to see her that much. She's a year older than me and a grade ahead. I went to the bathroom during school, and while I was in there, I kept hearing these strange noises. They sounded like whispers. I thought it was just some high school kids doing something they shouldn't be in the stall. I left the bathroom. The door just slammed shut as soon as I got out, which isn't right because they usually ease themselves back into place. I began to walk down the hall back to the cafeteria. As I did, I heard the intercom come on, yet no one spoke. It stayed on until, oddly enough, I began to hear the same whispers now coming through the intercom. Later that day when I went home, I brought this up at dinner. My grandma gave me a look of worry and confusion. That night, in bed, I began to hear the whispering again, although this time I noticed something. They were repeating the same thing 
over and over. I listened very closely, and I found out they were saying, Sorry, help me, let me out. Understanding this, I freaked out. I looked around in the dark in my room, all over, and suddenly I locked eyes with something, something I could barely see. Terrified, I lay back down quickly and I shut my eyes, asking God for help and protection. I then heard frantic footsteps, then something jumped on top of me, grabbing me by my throat, trying to choke me. I began screaming verses from the Bible that I could remember, screaming the name of God to help. And just like that, it vanished. I know it sounds anticlimactic, but this is what truly happened to me. I'm alive now, thankfully, and still a Christian. And nothing has happened ever since. I think I narrowly survived a demonic encounter. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer, Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play with my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Eyes Above the Corn From Bowhunter74 This happened in the late summer of 2017 in Northwest Pennsylvania. To preface this, I've been an avid outdoorsman since I was seven years old. I would bow hunt for deer, bear, and turkey. Wildlife is something I'm very confident in identifying. My buddy, M., and I spend most of the summer nights jigging for walleye. So like clockwork, we left at 10 p.m. one night to fish until 2 a.m. or so. After a good night of fishing, neither of us were tired yet. We decided to go drive around and listen to music while chewing tobacco. 
Him didn't want his mom to know we used tobacco, young country kid struggles. We decided to go park for a few minutes at Em's family farm, putting chews in our mouths. We pulled off into the cornfield around 2.15 a.m., the high beams on to see if there might be a big buck in the opening. Just as Em put the car into park, we noticed red eyes in the back of the field, about 100 yards away from us. There were no red flags yet, not until we realized that whatever those eyes belonged to, it was taller than the fully grown corn stalks. The two of us watched in silence. Then I could have sworn I saw it slowly turn and look right at me. As soon as its eyes met mine, my chest got all tight. I felt as if something was pushing me into the back of my seat. I couldn't move, frozen in an overwhelming feeling of pure terror. That was the last thing I remembered until we were driving down the main road into town at 4.30 a.m. Somehow, we had no recollection of the two hours of that night between 2.15 a.m. and 4.30 a.m. Horrified, we went straight back to M's apartment and ran inside. We only managed to fall asleep around 6 a.m. When I woke up, I asked M if he could recall anything of what happened last night. When he saw those eyes, he said the same thing happened to him, that he'd lost the memories of the two hours after. But how did he drive to the main road if he couldn't remember? We still hunt that strange farm, but nothing has happened since. I don't know what we saw, but nothing in Pennsylvania stands taller than that corn. A Peculiar Place From JP My family and I live in the country, on 10 acres near the Arkansas-Oklahoma state line. I'm not a very spiritual person other than being Christian, never messed around with the supernatural or paranormal stuff, outside of listening to some podcasts when I'm bored. I've sometimes gone on Bigfoot hunts, just for fun, more of an excuse to go on night hikes for a good thrill. I've never seen a ghost or an apparition per se, but I have seen and heard a few weird things that I cannot explain. I do not intend to embellish or twist the facts to make this story sound more interesting for the sake of the show, and I will not mention any details that I'm not certain of. So our little 10-acre plot is mostly wooded. We have plenty of neighbors around in spite of being somewhat secluded and out of city limits. I grew up playing in the woods with my brothers and sisters and later my nieces and nephews. If there are two or more people out there, the atmosphere always seems pretty friendly and cheerful, if you know what I mean. But at night, it always feels like the mood changes. I don't know for sure where I stand on there being or not being ghosts in this world, but I do think that certain spirits haunt certain places. Not like a ghost, more like a lingering feeling left behind by those who have dwelt there before. For instance, a place where a horrendous crime was committed, or a battlefield, or a house full of happy memories and joyous occasions. Either way, the place where you are affects the way you feel. Now to get to my story or stories. 
I've always been an outdoorsman. Mother Nature is where I feel at peace. I understand the way that the Native Americans felt about this land before we ever set foot here. A kind of partnership with the land and its creatures. I've spent many evenings and will continue to spend many evenings outside next to a campfire under the stars, just enjoying God's creations. I often go outside to relax, recover from the workday, to get away from people and the frustrations they may bring. But sometimes, the night feels different on different days. The first time I felt this was on an overcast evening in October of last year. I'd finished music practice, and I had made a campfire outside to spend some time alone. That evening felt different, though, like something was telling me to go back inside. But stubborn as usual with me, I didn't listen to my gut feeling. I decided to stay out and enjoy the cool night air, even if the woods felt creepy that night. I'd been sitting out there for about an hour when I began to hear this strange music coming from our woods. It sounded like a flute, with long, drawn-out, mournful tones. Being a musician myself, this sound captivated me, and I felt as if I could feel the sentiment behind it. It was sad. It was ancient. I quickly went inside and grabbed my mom. She was texting someone and said she would be out in a minute. But the music had stopped, and by then it was too late for anyone besides me to have heard it. Now, it didn't feel creepy or demonic. It felt like the past, nothing more. A few months later, under the same circumstances, I saw the silhouette of a hooded figure walking through our field towards the tree line, where it then disappeared. Again, it didn't feel wrong or malicious. It was like seeing a figure from the past. I say this because we have several really old cabin foundations and ruins on ours and our neighbor's properties, with a few old wells and some really old piles of rubbish that people dumped over time. Some of it dates back all the way to the 1800s. I somehow get the feeling that the hooded figure and the music, which I've heard a few more times now, are one and the same. Not a malicious demon or a silly ghost from a cheesy horror film, just an illusion of a figure from the past. Perhaps an old medicine man, or something of the sort. I don't know why, but that's what it feels like to me. I haven't shared the full details of all of this with my family, as they may think I'm weird, which is understandable. But I think that what I've seen here is only for me, as no one else but a select few have seen or heard anything of the sort. I'm not a believer in the traditional white-sheet ghost with red eyes kind of stories, but I think our lives leave echoes behind, kind of like a voice in a long tunnel, that even when the voice has stopped, someone farther down the tunnel might hear it if they take the time to listen closely and quietly. Good or bad, these echoes are there even if we choose to talk over the top of them. I hope you enjoyed this story and can relate. Chicken Soup from Jubilee This story was told to me by my friend about his grandma Wyatt. I'll share it with you in his words. 
When my mother was a teenager, about 13 years old, she lived with Grandma Wyatt in Paxton, Indiana. It was during the Depression in the early 1930s. Times were hard, and that made people harden their hearts to each other. At the time, there was an old woman in town who was very ill and on her last days. Grandma was helping to care for her. She thought a bowl of chicken soup would help make her feel better. But none of the neighbors or any of the people she asked would spare a chicken for her to prepare the meal. She was disappointed by the selfishness of the people around her. As she walked down the dirt road, a chicken of all things emerged from a yard and began to follow her. She shooted back into the yard, locking the gate behind her. Moments later, the chicken was following her once again. She turned and shooted back. To her surprise, the gate was somehow unlocked now. She'd barely taken a few steps down the road when it all happened once more, the gate being unlocked and the chicken at her heels. The third time it happened, she accepted it as a sign that the chicken was supposed to follow her. It was an offering for the old woman's meal. She looked around, didn't see anybody, and took it home to make chicken soup. That turned out to be the woman's last meal. They held a funeral for the old woman, and the holier-than-thou people in town, many of whom had refused to part with a chicken, attended to show how respectful and pious they were. They all placed flowers on the casket. All of a sudden, a wind came out of nowhere and blew the flowers off the casket twice. Grandma went up to the casket, the last to lay hers on it. After that, there were no more breezes. The old woman accepted Grandma's flowers, but not from those hypocrites who would not offer even a bird. My mother said the looks on their faces was memorable. No one said a word. I think that event made a lot of people wonder. Maybe even made them feel guilty for being so stingy and uncaring. It used his voice. From the Goddess of the Void. I live in an apartment complex surrounded by woods in North Carolina. At the time, I was living with two roommates and my boyfriend. My two roommates were the only ones with a TV, and at the time, they were off house-sitting. This will be important later. I remember my boyfriend saying that he was going to go get groceries in a moment. I was exhausted due to my poor health as a result of having cystic fibrosis, and I told my boyfriend I'd be lying down for a nap while he was gone. He left the TV on for me in the other room to make it seem more lively in the apartment while he was gone, and I soon fell asleep. I'm not sure how long I slept, but I woke up to hear my boyfriend calling my name. Melissa, come help me with this, Melissa. I assumed John, my boyfriend, was back from the grocery shopping, but his voice sounded wrong. It sounded like he was talking through a walkie-talkie, or it was somehow mechanical in a way. I shrugged and got out of bed, moving to the back door and opening it, turning on the light. I froze there on the back porch hearing the same call coming from the woods instead of from the parking lot. Melissa, 
Come help me with this, Melissa. I then saw them, two red glowing eyes, seven feet off the ground in the tree line. Suddenly, I felt hands on my shoulders and gasped, nearly screaming. The eyes disappeared then as I turned around. Melissa, what are you doing out here? It was John, the real John. I told him how I thought he was calling my name, but I thought that it couldn't be him. He told me he had been in the other bedroom watching TV the whole time after putting the groceries away. He then looked at me seriously. I, I heard it call me too, using your voice, he said, explaining why he had to come through the back door. I have heard stories like this, and I believe we may have encountered a skinwalker. We've since had the apartment smudged with sage, and we used salt on all entryways that faced the woods. Thankfully, we haven't encountered it again, but we have had other encounters. But those are stories for another time. The Visit from Sam Me 5 I was born and raised in Chicago, as in the actual city, and not some suburb close by. I only say this because I feel as if most ghost stories happen in the middle of nowhere, or where the population is limited, never in the middle of busy city life. I live with my parents. They own a multi-family home, and we live on the top floor. My dad bought the house in the early 90s, and it's been in the family ever since. We've never lived anywhere else, and we certainly never plan on leaving. It's a great house and a good neighborhood. I love this house, and besides some minor details about it that make it old, I wouldn't change much. That being said, the house has always had a somewhat unsettling vibe. It's not all the time, but certain times of the year, you could feel it more than others, especially at night. Growing up, I remember experiencing creepy things in the house, like seeing shadow figures make their way across the hall when I was playing, hearing footsteps walk from the kitchen to the dining room, hearing the shuffling of things being moved around. My parents were a bit skeptical if I ever brought it up, even when things like this happened to them, they brushed it off with a shrug and said something along the lines of, It's an old house, it creaks. I never truly believed it was just that. I always had a rule for myself. Never stay in the living room past 1am. And if I ever did because of homework, all the lights had to be on. Even then, out of all those times I was all alone studying in the living room or den area, I always felt something watching. I always knew I wasn't alone. The presence in the room was almost tangible, and it gave me shivers down my spine. The best thing I could do was play my music and try to ignore it. But I'd always practically run to my room once I was done. Some might think it was all in my head, that I was just afraid of the dark, but it wasn't that. When I left for college, that feeling of something watching me was never there in my dorm room or in my apartment when I eventually began to rent a place. It was only ever there when I was at home 
in my parents' house. What truly convinced my mom that there was truly something in that house was when I had just come home from college for Thanksgiving break. Everything was fine until the third night I was there. I had this habit of staying up late at night watching Netflix. That night was no different. Normally, I never closed or locked my door. I kept it slightly open to let the room breathe. On that particular night, though, I closed the door and I locked it. My parents had done the same. They always did. It was sometime around 2 or 3 a.m. that I heard my parents' doorknob beginning to jiggle. My parents still had one of those old doors that came with the house, and the doorknob was one of the ones made of glass that was kind of heavy. Because it was an old door with a heavy knob, it was loud and creaked when opened and closed. It was practically impossible to make the door any quieter. So when I heard the all-too-familiar sound of the glass knob turning, I knew I was in trouble. Crap, I thought to myself. My mom was probably coming in here to yell at me to go to bed. It wouldn't be the first time she'd done it. So being my sneaky self, I quickly turned off the TV, hid the remote underneath my pillow, wrapped the blanket around myself, and pretended to be asleep. I remained silent, hearing footsteps getting closer and then they stopped at my door. The doorknob turned slowly. There was a small jerk of the door. It was locked so the door didn't open. I expected my mom to use her nail to turn the lock. It wasn't hard to do, but it never happened. It felt like forever as I waited, and the room had become incredibly dead silent. All of a sudden, I get a weird feeling in the pit of my stomach. Slowly, I looked at the door, focusing my hearing on any noise outside, listening to the footsteps that my mom should have made. But nothing happened. I couldn't hear anything. I'd suddenly become slightly afraid, and there was no way in heck that I would check it out myself. So I forced myself to go to sleep, wrapping the blanket tighter around me. The following morning, I woke up, I heard shuffling in the kitchen. I knew it was my mom, so I quickly jumped out of bed, and I made my way over to where she was. Before I could even get a word out, she said, What did you want last night? I looked at her, confused. What do you mean? I asked. You came to my door last night trying to open it. I kept calling out your name, asking what you wanted, but you never responded. Were you sick or something? This time, I nervously smiled and chuckled. No, no, you came to my door last night. I didn't go to yours, I countered. Sam, stop messing with me. Mom, I'm not. I, I thought you were coming to yell at me to go to sleep for being up so late. You turned the knob too, but the door was locked so you couldn't get in. I did no such thing, my mom said, and neither did I. We just stood there looking at one another as if trying to see who would confess. But neither of us did, because I know for a fact I did not get up to go to their room, nor did my mother come to mine. So you're not lying to me, because you do like to scare me sometimes. My mom asked, looking a little more anxious. No, mom, I'm not. If I ever scare you, it's certainly not at two in the morning. <sighs> okay, then she said quietly. 
I could tell my mom was now confused and slightly concerned. Whatever came to visit last night failed. Thank God, she added softly. I don't know what tried opening both our doors that night, but I was thankful it wasn't able to. I have no idea what I would have done if that door had actually opened. All I know is that whatever had been lurking around at the house all these years had finally mustered up the courage to do more than just walk around. But it had failed, and I'd rather keep it that way. Ever since that day, two new occurrences had begun to happen. One, there's always a subtle knock on the back kitchen door. It happens throughout the day, but when you look outside from the window or cameras, no one is there. We've made it a rule not to open the door under any circumstances, unless we know someone is there. Two, the bathroom door randomly opens now. It's never done that before. We even had some of our family members who work in construction take a look at the door, and they always say the same thing. There's nothing wrong with the door or the lock. Whenever it happens, it always freaks us out. The door opens with such softness that it's nerve-wracking. The creepiest part is when you realize the lock is still in its locked position. I still love this house. It's a great house, but it can be a little creepy at times. We've thought about bringing a priest, but the strange activity has become so normal at this point that we don't see the point. We've learned to live with the creepiness. The Hat Man From I'm a Giraffe I saw something in my sister's room once, in February 2017. My parents work abroad, and I was completely alone at home that night. I need to specify from the very beginning that I always kept the front door locked when I was alone at home, and I turned on all the lights in the hallway before it got dark. Now, our bathroom is by the front door on the right on a narrow hallway. A few meters away on the left, you have my sister's room, and the last room in the house is mine. The windows have those mosquito screens that are drilled in, and you can't take them out. This is important. It was nearly 6 p.m., so it was beginning to get dark outside. I was in my bedroom doing some reading. There was some music playing quietly in the background. I needed to go to the bathroom, and to do that, I had to pass by my sister's bedroom. As I was walking, I casually glanced into my sister's room. But immediately, my heart froze. A person was standing there. I tried my best to stay calm and somehow tried to debunk this by taking a couple of steps back, thinking it was an optical illusion created by the light. But I kept seeing it, the same thing. I took a few steps ahead and nothing changed at all. You know how when you change your position you see an object differently? Sometimes illusions are broken because of the angle? That was not the case here. The figure looked like a person no matter what angle I was at. I kept staring at it and I soon saw it was wearing a black hat. I could even make out a forehead, nose, chin. It had a coat on but it wasn't black. The coat was dark gray or dark blue. 
I could even make out the left hand with five fingers. It wore dark brown pants and black boots. The more I stared at this person, the more it looked as if something was surrounding them, almost like an aura. It was a strange light color that I really didn't know how to describe, other than it being an aura or a weird steam. I never got any specific vibe from it. It didn't make a sound, and it never moved an inch. Eventually, I got too scared, so I ran into the bathroom, locking the door, and I watched through the small matte glass window in the bathroom door. Reminder, the bathroom is right next to the front door, and it was the only entrance and exit in the house back then, so I would have seen them going out. I'm not entirely sure how much time I spent in that bathroom, looking through the window without making any sound, but by the time I realized I should probably leave the bathroom at some point, it was pitch black outside. Anyway, I opened the door, expecting to see it in the hallway, waiting for me to come out of the bathroom. But it wasn't there. I was mortified to look in my sister's bedroom again, but I knew I had to do it. So I turned on the light, and I checked it anyway. Nothing. I looked behind the door, underneath the bed, inside the closets, above the closets, but I didn't find anything weird. I also made sure to check the window. Now, recall me saying that the windows had mosquito screens that were drilled in. They were still there, completely intact. Everything was closed, and there was no one in the house, and it appeared that no one had left either. I have a German Shepherd Husky mix, who was in the backyard at the time because he's an outside dog, trained to guard the house. I brought him inside, but he didn't seem to smell anything unusual. I tried to pick him up and put him down in the same spot where I saw that person, still trying to convince myself it was a burglar. I was hoping my dog could trace him down. Instead, my dog walked happily to my bedroom wagging his tail. I don't know what I saw. I don't know how it got into my sister's room, and I especially have no idea how it managed to get out without making a sound or using the front door. I've never experienced anything else in my childhood home before this incident, nor after. I talked about it to random people online, and it seems like lots of people from all across the world have had similar experiences. I believe this entity is called the Hat Man. Demonic and Ghostly Happenings on an Old Bridge From Izzy242 This happened when I was an amateur ghost investigator with my friends. It was early February. I had told my friends of an experience I had in Davidsonville, Maryland a few years ago. They all said they wanted to go back and try to capture it on tape. Reluctantly, I agreed. We started the 45-minute drive to the spot on Governor's Bridge Road. It had a still one-lane trussle bridge, which is now closed to the public because the area is prone to flooding. We had a voice recorder and two types of cameras. We headed down over the Jersey Wall to the bridge. My prior experience was a few years back with my brother-in-law on a, forgive the trope, dark and stormy night. You see, we saw something crawling out of the woods there, 
a black shape that was kind of wet looking, coming towards our car. We then saw it disappear, and then it was in front of our car in an instant. We booked it out of there in a hurry, and I never looked back until that night. So we got to the bridge. Right away I could hear frogs croaking and insects. There was no light because it was closed to cars. My camera suddenly stopped recording on its own, and the file got corrupted. I had no idea why it happened. The other camera we couldn't get to focus on a specific area at all. However, the voice recorder was fine, but it didn't record anything of merit. The hairs began pricking up on the back of my neck as I felt something was there with us, watching us. I told my friends then that we needed to leave. As we began to head back, I felt like something was close behind me. One of my friends looked back, and he saw two cloaked figures floating above the ground coming right for us. We started to run then towards the car. We opened the doors and floored it out of there. After a while, we pulled over to collect our thoughts, trying to record a recap of the experience and all the devices worked perfectly then, with no problems. Truth be told, I probably won't be going back there at night anytime soon. The Hound at the Foot of the Bed From Matt L. For the record, I'll state that I have had quite a few encounters with the paranormal, which has led me to become fascinated with everything surrounding it. One particular incident, though, has stuck with me, and I haven't told a lot of people due to the obvious skepticism and pointings to me just having a vivid imagination. But I'm here now to share with you all, as I see a lot of us here have had similar encounters. I was around 10 years old, possibly younger, when one night I had some trouble sleeping. Usually I was sent to bed around 10pm at the latest, though on that day the time read past midnight when I'd finally gotten tired. A part of me wanted to play a game or do something to keep my mind busy so it could tire itself out, but I ended up just tossing and turning, unable to get comfortable. Finally, I managed to fall asleep on my side with my face in the direction of the wall right next to me. I must have only been asleep for a few minutes when I woke up to the feeling of being watched. That uncomfortable feeling grew and grew more by the minute. Finally, I couldn't take it anymore. Fearfully, I turned over to look into my room, and there, sitting a foot away from my bed, was a very large dog. It looked to be as big as a larger-than-normal pit bull or rottweiler, though the front legs looked massive compared to a normal dog's. It had ears that went up to sharpened tips, and the eyes were glowing a bluish-white, unblinking as it gazed back at me. I couldn't make out all the features, and some of them have been forgotten with time, but those were the things that stood out the most prominently. That and something else. Now, at first, I didn't think much of it, and I was going to drift off to sleep. But then suddenly I realized we didn't own a dog at the time, and when I continued to stare at it, my eyes widened with terror. The hound continued to simply look at me. When I thought about possibly calling out for my parents, even though my throat had dried up and I had trouble even breathing at that point, 
eyes darting to my closed door. The thing finally made a growl. The noise was deep and guttural, a sound that, to this day, I've never heard anything match. Then it did the thing that shook me to my core. I swear, it… it smiled. The teeth were still clearly canine, but the way it moved its lips looked almost human. That image even now makes me shiver, but in the moment, as a child, I could have sworn my heart stopped beating. Without really thinking and just wanting to escape, I finally mustered up some courage. I threw my blankets onto the thing. It seemed surprised by the sudden movement and snarled, snapping its jaws as it got tangled up in them. It thrashed about on my floor. Taking the opportunity, I ran out of my room and sprinted to my parents' room at the end of the carpeted hallway. But their door was locked, which even today I can't explain because my parents never had a door that could lock for safety reasons. I pounded and cried out for them, desperate to get away from whatever that monster was, when another growl reached my ears. The hound had gotten free, and as I looked in its direction, I saw it standing at the end of the hall on all fours, its teeth bared in fury, pale blue-white eyes, it seemed, focused on my very soul. Steadily, it made its way towards me a few steps at a time, its claws clicking on the carpet as if it was walking on hardwood or stone instead. By now I turned my back to the door, facing this beast. I was trembling. Its pace then quickened, and it leapt at me with jaws open wide, aiming right for my throat. I thought I was going to die. I screamed again as I held my head in my hands and cowered in front of the locked door. The door in question suddenly burst open. It was my mom and dad. My father was in his boxers carrying a pistol in one hand. My mother almost slid under him to grab me, the pajamas she wore adding a level of warmth and comfort. My mother asked what was wrong. I bawled loud enough to now wake up my older sister while my dad went around looking for whatever it was that had scared me so. However, he found nothing. It was like it disappeared, like it had never been there, though my blankets were still in the heap on the floor, trailing towards my now open door like something had been in them and had crawled out of them. He presumed it had been me after falling out of bed or something. When my father got back from investigating, both my parents started to ask me about what happened, which as you can imagine led to them royally angry at me for causing a ruckus over a nightmare. They repeatedly told me it was wrong for me to get mad at them over a locked door that wasn't even one that could lock in the first place. It took two hours for me to calm down, and I had to sleep in my parents' room because I was so scared to go back into my own bed. To this day, the very thought of what happened sends me into paranoia, it has given me a permanent fear of the dark. It's also why certain imagery of dogs and wolves makes me feel that same feeling. Some nights, I hide under the covers and I sleep facing away from the open room because I feel like something is watching me, prowling through my room, trying to find me once again. It hasn't happened as often as it did before, but every so often, that ominous dread comes in, and I feel like I did all those years ago, defenseless, scared, 
hiding from what could be that dog monster coming back to find me. The most recent iteration of this feeling was a few months ago. I was visiting my parents' new place around Angel's Camp, and when that feeling came back, I had to sleep with the lights on. Dark Confrontation in a College Dorm From Mycroft 1325 In October of 1993, at the age of 22, I was attending college at UW-Stevens Point, Wisconsin. For a bit over a month, I had been friends with a young lady named Jane. Though we weren't dating, it did seem like we might head in that direction, and in any event, we spent a great deal of time together. She had often remarked about her fascination with the occult and supernatural. She said that if she ever had the chance to use a Ouija board, she was definitely going to do it. She also asked me to be with her if it happened. As a Christian since 1991 and an amateur researcher for the occult, I knew very well that such things were bad news, but at the time, I didn't want to get into a deep discussion as to why. I also didn't feel like getting into an argument if I said no, and she did press me. So, really believing it would never happen anyway, I told her I promised to be there. One week later, not long before Halloween, she comes dashing into my dorm, excitedly telling me that her and her roommate, Brenda, and our mutual friend, Dave, had borrowed a Ouija board from someone. So, she asked if I would please be there, as promised. Grinning on the inside, I apologized and said I couldn't make it as I had an acting rehearsal assignment I was just leaving for. This was completely true, though. Visibly hurt, she left, but I wasn't feeling bad about not having to honor my foolish promise. However, as I gathered up my bookwork and prepared to leave, I got a phone call. It was the classmate I was supposed to practice with. He'd suddenly come down with a very bad cold and had to cancel. He said he was so sorry for this last-minute cancellation. This sickness just came out of nowhere. I told him he had nothing to apologize for. It wasn't his fault. I told him to get well soon, then hung up the phone. Well, now I had no excuse not to go to Jane's room. I molded over briefly and called a friend of mine who was also a believer. Quickly explaining the situation, he suggested God may very well have had a reason for me to be there, and if I'm not actually participating, I should be fine. I was already leaning in that direction, and since my promise had been to just be there, not participate, hopefully God wouldn't think I was splitting hairs in that regard. I went up to Jane and Brenda's room. As an aside, I want to mention that they had lucked out and had been assigned a corner dorm. Given how the dorms were laid out, all the corner rooms were roughly twice as large as normal, so there was plenty of space for the two of them. I opened the door, and it was pitch dark except for the flashlight Dave was holding over the Ouija board. Jane and Brenda were currently using the planchette. They all acknowledged me as I entered, and I waved to them. Then I went to lay down on the lower of their beds. That bed was facing out into the room, cutting it roughly in half, while the upper bed was perpendicular to it and set against the wall. So I was lying on my stomach, facing the wall opposite the entrance, this allowed me to overlook the situation. 
I said nothing, did nothing aside from preparing myself to be bored. The kinds of questions Jane and Brenda were asking were the right kinds of nonsense questions, perfectly suited to induce boredom. This actually made me feel a bit better, as it didn't look like anything potentially dangerous was happening. Just as I was thinking about leaving, however, something else beat me to it. The planchette suddenly moved to buy, and as that happened, I felt a very strange pressure suddenly stop. I'm not sure how I didn't notice it when I first came in, but it was impossible to miss when gone. It was very similar to when you're outside on a hot, humid day and suddenly enter a well-air-conditioned building. All that heat and humidity gone, and you're now able to relax. With the removal of this pressure, though, the last thing I could do was relax. My dog ears, so to speak, perked up, and I probably did look like that RCA dog as I cocked my head, thinking, what the heck was that? I had no time to consider it, however, as Jane and Brenda immediately began the ritual to summon another spirit. It didn't take long. This encounter I remember much more clearly than the first. This spirit said its name was Ani, and it claimed to be a 19-year-old Greek fisherman who had died in the Mediterranean back in 1914. With that, Jane and Brenda began to ask it personal questions, but these were more of an important nature than the silly things from earlier. Brenda's grandmother was very ill. Was she going to die? Jane was very concerned about meeting the right man. What should she look for? Now, as I said earlier, I'm a Christian, and I trust that what the Bible is is just what it claims to be, the inerrant word of God. I realize this may be offensive to some, though that is hardly my intent. I have a responsibility to relay the truth as accurately as possible. With that in mind, the Bible says clearly that when we die, we are essentially asleep and know nothing. Aside from extremely rare exceptions, nobody is conscious after death. Ghosts, as popular culture thinks of them, don't exist. Good angels, fallen angels, and the spirits of dead hybrids condemned to wander the earth comprise the overwhelming majority of spirits that interact with humans. With that thought in mind, I suddenly became angry. That anger quickly moved to outright fury. Whatever this being was, it certainly wasn't a dead teenage fisherman, and it was lying to these innocent young women. Without a doubt, it was a lie that could not be tolerated. Suddenly, the planchette's responses became jumbled and confused, mere gibberish, and though afterwards she said she couldn't remember why she did it, Brenda asked, Is there something in the room that's bothering you? With no hesitation, the planchette deliberately spelled out my first name. At that instant, I had one of those experiences that seemed to take some time, but must have been only a second or two. Now, I'm not afraid of human beings. I know there are those who are stronger, smarter, faster than I am. I know there are those who could kill me in a flash with a pencil but I'm not afraid of them. They still have to put their pants on one leg at a time. They still have to deal with bathroom essentials like we all do. They're just like me, flawed and mortal. But this thing, whatever it was, terrified me. I guess the best visual representation with how my mind's eye perceived it would be the scene near the end of the Fellowship of the Ring film after Frodo puts on the one ring to escape Boromir. The Eye of Sauron was able to now see Frodo and look down on him, 
overwhelming with fury. This creature was ancient, ancient and filled with malice. Malice layered up like an onion year after year, century after century, age after age, deathless in its hatred of humanity. It had an intelligence no human could match, and it was now aware of me. It was looking directly at me. I was petrified. But then, some other person who was inside me but not me came out. It felt like a tidal wave. All my ears could hear was a tremendous roar. The Holy Spirit of God was there and making no secret of it. I suddenly felt even smaller, like a little fly about to get smashed between two enormous fly swatters. But I was no longer terrified. I was elated, exalted. I remember thinking, Lord Jesus, if this is where I go out, I'm happy to have been a part of it. Your will be done. But then, I heard no words. I had the unmistakable impression of someone putting their arm across my shoulders and turning me away. Along with that was the clear feeling of, not now, not yet. Now is not the time. The next thing I know, I'm driving through the nighttime streets of Stevens Point, listening to a minute work album. I let myself do that for maybe 20 minutes, then return to the school. When I got back, I found David, Jane, and Brenda downstairs in the student lounge discussing what had happened. They were glad to see me, and when I asked them what happened, I was told that once my name was spelled, I suddenly stood up, said, I'm out of here, and left. Immediately afterwards, Jane and Brenda became almost hysterical with fear, because their hands were glued so tightly to the planchette, it hurt. Brenda cried out, asking what was wrong, and amidst more gibberish, the phrases, want my girls, supposed to be mine, promised, came out as the planchette moved with painful speed. Then it flew to bye, and their hands were free. They all immediately came to the lounge where they had stayed, not wanting to go back to their room. They all agreed the spirit seemed to think Jane and Brenda had been promised to them, but had been denied and was now furious about it. I explained my end of the story, and though I'd talked about Christian stuff before in small ways, I now shared the gospel with them and reassured them that they could probably return to their room with no fear, provided they removed the Ouija board and didn't try fooling around with the occult anymore. They'd already returned the board to its owner, and Jane said she would never, ever do anything like that again. Brenda agreed, and Dave thought just being in the area observing the insanity was bad enough. God has continued to use me in supernatural ways for the benefit of others as the years have gone by, though there have yet to be any more direct confrontations with evil spirits. Thank you for listening to another unsettling episode of Unexplained Encounters. You can send us your story to have it narrated on the show at darkstories.org. Unexplained Encounters is an EerieCast original series. You can find other horror-themed podcasts at EerieCast.com, such as Redwood Bureau, a fictional anthology series, Freaky Folklore, a documentary-style series about myths and cryptids around the world, Destination Terror, a show about the most haunted places, and Tales from the Break Room, another show I host all about the scary things that happen to people at work. Again, that's EerieCast.com. By the way, if you want fewer annoying ads and you want to support what we do, consider going to EerieCast.com plus to sign up for EerieCast Plus. 
That unlocks all our podcasts with all but host red ads removed. Until next time, stay safe out there and stay creepy. Because this world is a strange one. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.